0: Spring is here, and as of April 1st, the CFB Winning Edge 2022 FBS Team Profiles are available for all of our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. Our FBS Team Profiles include 131 team pages, each with 85 or more individual player ratings, position and unit rankings, depth charts, transfer updates, injury reports, full season and single game projections, and much, much more. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to join as a Tier 2 member to access our roster strength ratings, head coach rankings, on-field team performance, and recruiting strength history for all 131 FBS programs. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for helping to fund our 2022 FBS team profiles and other projects coming soon.
1: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogwin Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish, Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. I'm already tripping over myself here, Nick. Help me out. How was your weekend, man? Did you have a fun one? Did you watch any baseball at all? Because I was obviously on a nice vacation in Phoenix to watch the Diamondbacks lose three or four. So <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I watched a little bit of baseball, not a ton, but did, uh, did get some also watched uh, bits and pieces of a couple of spring games, nothing too much. As we talked about a little last week, I, I don't often uh, seek those out, especially live, but Uh, For the most part, it was a a chance to get away for a couple of days and and, kind of put sort of the big project that I'm working on aside for, you know, at least a a day or so. But nothing too exciting. But I I did catch a little bit of a little bit of baseball, but I'm already starting to uh, fall off a little bit. So I I do need to at least put it on, you know, in the background uh kind of while i'm working that that is a, a a decent strategy for me to at least pay some attention
1: but you're not allowed to watch baseball uh, it's too many spring games you have to see so i uh, can't be <laughs> watching baseball but uh xavier i saw you went to the ring ceremony right so uh i mean obviously uh you guys are both big braves fans and uh, you must have had a good time during that, right? I mean, yeah, it,
2: it was an amazing time to get the replica rings um, as a fan. I think that you know any any chance to be a ball player or, or feel as close as you can to the team is a is a feeling that you would love to have. Uh, we still got shellacked eleven to two that night, uh, so that was it's a little rough, you know. And, and being me, I stayed for the entire game, like literally the, the baseball nine innings. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was there from what five o'clock to 11, yep. you know, because you had to get in line early because, you know, they were only handing out 40,000 rings, and I saw dudes with, like, six of them. I was like, yeah. to uh, if anybody knows, Sun SunTrust or Truist Park has a capacity of 41,000. So, in
1: a sense, it's everybody... A thousand was, people aren't going to get one. Yeah. Right?
2: But we know that over a thousand people didn't get one because we were at, being asked during the game, hey, like, how much
1: do you want for your ring? And I was like, yeah. you
2: didn't get one? And, I, and then I walked past the guy with, like, seven of them, like, you know in a bag you know in his pocket like oh okay i see why
1: and hundred dollar bills for replica rings <laughs> exactly right? yeah the the uh even the stadium has a cash for gold guy so that's great you know <laughs> um but yeah i mean baseball started but look um you know obviously transitioning towards football we've got a lot of action going on right now a lot of spring games are happening um and this week there was a lot to do about the quarterbacks for these spring games. Clemson uh, had, you know, had their quarterback competition between DJ and Kate Klo- uh, Klubnik. Uh, Texas A&M has a big one between Max Johnson, Haynes King and Connor Wiegman. North Carolina, uh, who is going to replace Sam Howell between May and Chriswell, and a couple others here, Nick. So when you look at the spring games in the comments and quotes and all that good stuff what do you see from uh some of these games and which quarterback uh battles are the most exciting in your opinion
0: well so uh, i guess the the biggest thing that comes to mind first is uh i guess maybe with the exception of one of the comments that devil sweeney made about how uh dj Williams is definitely still our starter quote dj is definitely still our starter uh, uh, you know, that I guess, in a sense puts it to bed that hey, you know, this this maybe isn't a full uh, QB competition like a light of, you know, like we've been talking about now for months based on how much uh, DJ struggled last year and, and that offense as a whole and how exciting of a player, Kate Kube, you know Ku Kube- Nick, uh, I'm gonna have to, to work on that one. Uh, you know <laughs> appears to be. Uh, but it, you know, I think for the most part, people don't really believe Devo right now that that uh, uh, that one's probably going to still continue to play out. But I guess the biggest, you know, thought that comes to mind first is these are all still ongoing. I mean, Texas a I think there might be a, a leader. I, I would expect Max Johnson is is the leader. Um, you know, at, at Auburn, I know Robbie Ashford was uh, maybe the most exciting during the A-Day game, but Zach Calzada, TJ Finley, both of those guys have been starters in the SEC West and still have plenty of time to win the job. Um, You know, there, there is a heavy uh, favorite at Nebraska and Casey Thompson. So, you know, we, we, there are some, maybe we know a little bit more than most, but uh, maybe with the possible exception of Clemson, if we do in fact believe what, Debo Sweeney said, "You know, we we really didn't learn much about officially, or or even a, a high likelihood uh, of this is going to be the guy in in 2022. And in a lot of ways, it makes sense. I mean, you know, why uh, if it's a close competition, or if you still have questions, or if you're you know implementing a new system, or or it's a you know transfer in his first year." uh give it time, let it play out. I know a lot of people are, are talking and this has come up quite a bit with another ongoing one at, at Texas with uh, Quinn Ewers and, and Hudson card uh, a lot of the you know talking points I see on Twitter at least are oh we we know who the starter is. they just don't want to say it because you don't want the other guy to transfer and that's that's something that I, have a little bit of a, a problem with. I don't think that's always the case. I don't think that's always as simple as, as some people uh, make it out to be. But, you know, why why rush it? You've still got plenty of time. A lot can happen between now and, uh, you know, when the season kicked off in, in August or September. Um, so it's not a surprise, I guess, that we didn't learn a whole lot, even as some of these teams are, are closing out spring and, and have these quarterback competitions ongoing but um so far you know we we haven't learned a whole lot i guess especially with some of these big ones as you mentioned texas a&m north carolina especially um it, it's going to be a while probably before we know who the, the starter is going to be there
1: yeah and you know uh there's the spring game is great. Right. And I think, but I do kind of think it's funny when people are like, well, uh, the spring game is the way it goes. And this guy looked better than spring, the spring game and blah, 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 because it's one game, you know, they're still going to have practices all off season and stuff to determine who the starter is. Uh, I do like the sentiment that you said about, look, they probably know who the starter is. They just don't want to announce it. So to not let someone enter the transfer portal, which is a big part of today's game. But, um, Xavier, when you look at these QB competitions, did anything stand out from you um, from the spring games or any of the quotes that you heard? I mean,
2: kind of the same things as I, as I have been realizing a little bit since I stopped playing, which is, you know, some of these quarterbacks are just coming in feeling so college ready. You know, watching Cade Kubnik, you know, he just looked like, you know, a guy who was, was in his red shirt freshman year and uh, just looked like he was, you know, had, had understood the offense already. Um, The same can be said about May at at North Carolina. And I know he's been in the system for a while. But just, you know, these kids look ready, at least from a mental standpoint, um, to start right away. Um, Now, whether or not, you know, who's going to be the quarterback, I don't think that necessarily they're even playing, like, mental games with that. I mean, we saw two teams last year in the playoffs use or, or have pretty much quarterback controversies the entire year with Michigan and Georgia. So I think, like, teams now genuinely may feel that they can go into the year with two quarterbacks at the helm. And figure it out, kind of as the year progresses, um, you know. And I, and I think that that in itself will create, you know. Yes, obviously they don't want them going to move into the transfer portal, but two, if you feel like you have a good enough team around them, and you can, you know. Make sure each quarterback has a fair shot at it. I think that when you do that, you know, you can have a quarterback situation like DJ Ungalale. You know, maybe he does third and short just because he's a better runner and Cade's in there for more of a passing down type situation, which is something what we saw at, at Michigan last year. And even what we've seen in the past, like Oklahoma ran with uh, Blake Bell when they ran him there as yeah. well. So, like, I think that, you know, th- those are obviously possible with some of these bigger schools who have the ability to shake up their team with that much talent at the quarterback position.
0: Yeah, a couple I other. I, oh, I think that. Yeah, I I I think you hit on something that that uh, is important, and and I meant to mention is is yeah you, in a lot of cases, uh, certainly we've gotten to the point where there are obviously a lot of guys transferring. We do see a lot of guys if they if they don't win, you know, become the quote unquote starting quarterback, they will transfer and look for an opportunity to to become that guy somewhere, but. A lot of teams are, you know, still use multiple quarterbacks. Injury is certainly always a concern. Um, and one thing that that I think some people ignore is there are some, some guys just want to be at a particular place. Uh, I mean, I, I know one of the, the, the ones that people uh, – there's talk that, oh, at, at USC, or at least the way they present it in uh, – you know, interviews and and things like that is oh yeah, it's a competition between Caleb Williams and Miller Moss, and and almost no one believes that because Caleb Williams is, uh, you know, was really exciting as a true freshman last year at Oklahoma. He knows the system, uh, even with the new coaching staff and and all that, and he's just a, a you know going to be a really great player. But I think, and I don't know, if Miller Moss you know, personally, of course, but um, just some of the com- comments that I've heard him uh, share in the past is basically it seems like he really likes USC. And even if he doesn't win the job, he's probably, uh, you know, I got the vibe. He, he wasn't necessarily looking to leave. Um, and there are some other guys who are, are certainly going to be in that boat as well. And and so I think it is a little bit of a uh, overreaction from some folks or, or, it uh, doesn't always make sense to say, oh, yeah, they just don't want to name this guy the starter because, um, you know, because then he'll transfer and that. You know, maybe it's rare that that there are guys who who just really want to be at one place and and they'll certainly compete for the job. But if they come up short, they're still going to stick around because, you know, the, the, the cliche, right? You're one play away. Um, but then also, you know, it, some guys just want to be in a particular place. Some. Uh, feel that even, you know, being a backup quarterback at USC, learning Lincoln Riley's system, you know, maybe that'll help set him up for a coaching career in the future. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that um, uh, Gardner Minshew, right, uh, originally looked like he was going to transfer to Alabama, where he was probably going to be the third stringer at best. But it sounded like he had a, a thought in mind, hey, I can go and, and uh Pers- you know, get an education, basically a football education to the point that I can uh, turn that into a graduate assistant position and, and then a coaching career. And, and he ultimately, of course, made the decision that he still wanted to uh, be the guy and and ended up working out for him to, to have an NFL career. But um, not everybody, you know, would make that same choice. Some would say, hey, maybe I just need to set myself up for uh, the next stage in life. and And maybe that's, as a coach. And the best way to do that is stay at one of these, you know, blue blood or, or high high profile programs and learn from a high quality coaching staff who, you know, is in demand like a Lincoln Riley. And that might be the best uh, you know, way to to set me up for success in the future. So um, I don't know, I've, I've recently, and, and we've talked before about spring and, and, you know, what do you, look for and what do you hope to get out of it and and sort of uh while i've been thinking about it and watching some of these games i've I've been jotting notes down to myself to to kind of bring up and and think so these these thoughts i guess i'm I'm trying to to uh, weave them in i guess a little bit more (laughs) as we're talking about specific teams but um i i've been thinking a little more about these things and it's not always so clear not always so black and white as oh you know, he's just not uh, this coach is is just not naming him the starter because he doesn't he doesn't want one of the guys to transfer. And sometimes it's not quite that simple, I guess.
1: Right. I, it's definitely not that simple everywhere. You know, there's a spot or two where I'm sure a coach is in his mind like, well, look, I think I'm definitely going with this guy, but, you know, he's not clear cut. Uh, so I want and to sometimes the, the coaches know.
0: Sure. Sometimes yeah. the players know. I mean, you know, yeah. if, if I, th- I think that is when it when it becomes to the point where everybody on the roster knows who the starter yeah. is, but coaches are still out there saying, oh, yeah, you know, guys are competing. We're still splitting the reps 50 50, all that. OK, at that point, then it's it's. Probably a little silly because i think you're getting sort of a a, you know been out of shape or something by that uh could rub the the locker room the wrong way a little bit but yeah i think i think for the most part especially this early in the process i mean we're still in april it's still the spring a lot can happen um there's there's no rush in most of these situations to name a guy in my opinion
2: well, I speaking think- on Dappo in particular, you know, this. he did this with Kelly Bryant. Like, Kelly Bryant was the guy until he wasn't, you know, and I, I believe it also helped that Kelly Bryant may have suffered an injury that you, I, I can't believe, I can't remember 100%. But going, you know, it was, I'm not going to say it was the exact same situation as what we have right now. You know, Kelly Bryant wasn't the same. As far as touted wise as, as maybe Lale has been. But, you know, Trevor Lawrence was behind him. Everybody came into the spring thinking Trevor Lawrence may take the job. And, you know, he, he was like, ah, no, I like Kelly. I think he runs our offense pretty well. We're going to, you know, gonna, we're going to ride with him. He had just taken us to a college football playoff appearance, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he was like, yeah, we're, we're going to ride with him until we can't ride with him anymore. And he decided to change. I believe it was six or seven games into that year. Maybe I mean, not four, even that long. Because, because yeah, Brian but,
0: yeah. could still uh, gra- you know, use right. that red shirt.
2: Yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, Lawrence was in, and, the, the, you know, as they say, the rest was history. And, you know, Bryant stayed on the team for, the, I think, a, l- a couple more games before announcing his, you know, decision to go into the transfer portal. But, you know, I mean, that's what I feel like a coach, you know, has the leverage to do in, in a lot of these situations because these quarterbacks do come in four or five stars, you know, when you're talking about a when you're talking about even North Carolina's situation, you know, that there's an opportunity to, you know, really give each kid, you know, four games to show what they've got. You know, and they are still allowed to keep the eligibility and move on from that. If you think that, you know, one guy needs to see what, you know, see what he can do against uh, the talent you're going to be playing in that year, you give him those four games. And then if it doesn't work out, you could say, all right, we got the other guy, we're going to roll with him. And you can still take a red shirt if you feel like it, or go ahead and enter your name in the transfer portal and keep your eligibility.
1: And, and I think one of those scenarios that you were talking about, Nick, in, in terms of where, most of the players and coaches probably know is nebraska right it seems like casey thompson is the guy uh they brought in uh chupa purdy uh, as well and of logan smothers on, on this this roster but i think you get a guy with as much experience as casey for him to come in and be the starter although they're calling it a competition that's not like a very settled one because Casey Thompson looks terrible in practice. It could go a different way. He still is new there, but I think the whole purpose of him transferring to Nebraska was to end up starting. So you have that scenario versus like, you know, we mentioned Auburn has three guys, um, uh, you know, Calzada and Robbie Ashford and TJ Finley. Um, You know, there's other scenarios. Uh, Keaton Slovis just looked flat out bad. So maybe we don't want to announce him as the starter, even though it seems like he's definitely the starter. So every scenario is different. Um, Are there any of those other ones down here between Nebraska, Pittsburgh, um, Auburn? I know you wanted to mention some quotes from NC State that were interesting as well. So anything else from these spring games that uh, kind of uh, jumped out to you?
0: Well, uh, you mentioned Nebraska, and and not only is Casey Thompson new, but Mark Whipple, the offensive coordinator, is new. Uh, Chubba Purdy is new. So, you, you know, you bring in two, two transfers and a new offensive coordinator, um, a lot of other, you know, new faces around. And, and so a big part of spring is installing a system, is getting guys used to uh, new teammates, new way of doing things, um. Just you know, it's it's we are in a hurry. Uh, to to you because we want to know. You know, fans want to know. Right, right. Um, people who are interested in college fantasy or uh, you know, starting to get together things about Bets. win totals or full season yeah. projections. Exactly. You know, we're we're in a hurry to know and college football has gotten so year round and we do have this event in the spring, which kind of helps, uh, create some content, but there are certainly, you know, beat reporters have have to find something to write about. We have to have something to talk about every week. Uh, and so, you know, part of the, the, just everything all thrown together, we are in a hurry because, you know, to us, it, it it seems so simple from the outside that oh, this guy is is probably the starter. Why don't you just go ahead and, and you know name him? But uh, for a lot of these guys, it's there's there's a lot of of newness and there's still a lot to do as far as in, you know implementing installing a playbook, uh, installing particular plays. I mean, one thing that I've read a lot about. You know, this weekend specifically, but we've seen some things. You know, uh, USF said, Oh, we're not going to stream our spring game because we don't want opponents to have extra film. Uh, There was a comment from uh, uh, Jeff Halfley at Boston College how they were so simplified in their offensive play call, or really on both sides. Uh, They had four offensive plays and two coverages and one pressure on defense, they said. Uh, You know, at, at Nebraska, going back to there, Scott Frost after the game said, that the game plan was quote dreadfully simple. And, and so, (laughs) you know, that's, that's part of it too, is there's one, it's really quite difficult to install an offense, especially when you have a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator, all that, all that sort of stuff. And, and it might sound like, Oh, these teams are, are, being too uh, what's the word paranoid or, or whatever uh, and it and maybe the USF is kind of bordering on that a little bit, not wanting to, to uh, you know stream the game and, and you know it, it might feel that way when when coaches are saying oh yeah, we're only running uh, you know six plays this spring or, or what have you and that might sound silly, but I know it was different I, I coached high school, but we were like that. I mean, and, and it yeah. wasn't because uh, we were trying to be so vanilla because we might have a rival school show up to watch our spring game. It was more so like, Let's you know, get sometimes the basics it's hard to, yeah. to install. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, kids don't always learn it the first time immediately. And, and that might be the same for 16-year-olds. It might be the same for 18 to, to 22-year-olds. Sometimes it just takes a little time. And so, I mean, it, it's not always as, as uh, like I said before, cut and dry as, as it might seem, and especially with, you know, impatience on our end because we want to know, you know, whether it's – I'm already doing CFF drafts, right, best ball leagues and, and things like that. Yeah, I would love to know for sure who the starting quarterback is at every uh, school, but uh, I was having a conversation with, with somebody on Twitter earlier today obviously and and i think most of us know this we just don't you know we we just still struggle with it but coaches have a different uh set of priorities especially in the spring than we do and and, and know, none maybe of it, it's...
1: none of their priorities are uh explain my thoughts and process right
0: that yeah yeah i mean and there might be some small piece of uh you know value you can get from withholding who your starter is going to be, especially if you've got multiple players with different skill sets and and things like that, it might cause your first week's opponent to uh, have to spend a little extra time looking at you know older film or or uh, things like that, kind of you know try to waste their their prep time and, and energy and all that a little bit there might be a little bit of strategy there but I think for you know the most part there's there's just some either or even simpler expan- explanations uh, for some of these things and and part of it is just you know why why hurry and also you know one of the the, uh, the conversation that that how it started was um, and this was between uh, CFF Nate Nate Marquise, part of the, the campus to Canton uh, family there was, was, you know, just sort of tweeted, Hey, I, I find it hard to believe or hard to understand why you would put a, uh, you know, ones versus twos in a scrimmage situation, right. Because his thought was, you know, why, why would that be helpful when it comes to evaluation or, or competition? And, you know, sometimes competition's just not, the top priority, um, um, and I responded to him that that you know some coaches think that going good on good is is uh, you know riskier when it comes to injury. Sometimes, especially in the spring, and I, and I think this is actually a little more likely. Uh, defenses usually you hear that right? Defenses are are ahead of the offenses. Yeah. Part of that is all about
1: timing a lot. So, you know, that's a big uh, piece. That's all about practice. So, yeah.
0: And and part of it might be that the defense is, is the better unit. Part of it is, Hey, we only installed four plays or or in this particular practice where we're concentrating on, you know, running these four plays, the defense knows what's coming. And so, you know, sometimes you, you just don't get a good look because uh, defenses, you know, don't you know they don't want to look bad in practice, so they're not going to take it easy on the offense. Uh and so maybe you limit, you know, even the the playing field a little bit. Ones versus twos, you can get a little better look. Sometimes you can, you know, sometimes the offense might need a little boost of confidence. Or sometimes, you know, the players need uh, to believe in a particular play and they keep running into a brick wall, you know, play after play if you're if you're going good on good. You know, sometimes you just have to to uh, loosen things up and and mix it up a little bit. And, and I
1: don't know. I'm going. <laughs> no, no, I. Engine again, but no, no, no. Into but these I sort of what things. Yeah, that we be, sometimes. You're just giving the perspective think. from the the coaches. Yeah, eyes. Yeah, and it, I I think it's a great point to make. So yeah, it reminds uh, me like I'm
2: in like I'm in meetings again. You know, right.
1: No, like right, right. I could not agree more with it.
0: Xavier, how many times have as uh, a coach said, can can we get a look? Can we get a look? Uh, I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> is, I mean, like, okay. I've been like on both sides up, of the field in back college.
0: up corner. You're not, you know, you don't know this this you don't know this is power, all
2: right? Can we get a look? That's the one that annoys me the most. When I started playing defense in college was, "Hey, you guys don't know what this play is?" even though you exactly know what this play is. I want you to give us this certain look, though. Like, hey, can you run cover three here while we're running, you know, power? And it's like, Coach, you would never be in this – in that situation. And he's like, I know, I know. But, like, I just want to get that look. You know, maybe, you know, the, the first game of the season, we're going to be playing this team. You know, that was the most annoying thing ever. Uh, so I, I couldn't agree more. Because uh, you, yeah, know, you I don't know. want
0: to get yelled at when when uh, the guy, make, you know,
2: <laughs>
0: makes a play on you and and – and uh, you're in the you know wrong position because because coach wanted to look he might forget I don't
2: know yeah like my first spring game in college I got cussed out like royally it was it was a rough time for a for an 18 year old who had never ran the air raid I absolutely got just like I was well within my own depth I, I did not know what was going on and instead of actually running a play on that play coach wanted to uh, what we called freeze at the time which was an opportunity to t- try to get the defense to jump offside. And instead, I move. It's a five-yard penalty during the spring game. I get cut. I get cast out and pulled out of the game, too. <laughs> and I was just like, this is college. All right. You know, coming. I played. We, we ran more of a pro-style offense in college and going from that to an air raid. And I was like, right, OK. Um, You know, and so, yeah, I absolutely agree with Nick. It, it could be like the kids just don't get it yet and there's certain plays that they just don't understand at this point we think because they're in college there's like this like you know there's just one to jump in playbook size I don't know if you guys ever seen a high school playbook but it's it's thin compared to what we're doing in college um and so you know some of the kids might just not be prepared at certain position groups you know um and a lot of spring games you'll see all the time there'll be like no blitzing right like just because the offensive line doesn't want to have to you know guard a te stunt And and, and, you know, obviously you don't want to get quarterback hurt, but like it's also for that reason too, because your offensive line is a little bit behind and you don't want anybody getting hurt because they don't understand the twists that your defensive line coach has already started to scheme up in the preseason. So, you know, and playing on both sides, you're absolutely right. Offense is always way behind defense. Defense is like, we're plugging and playing, We're, we're ready to go. We could play today. Offense is like, give us like a summer or two, you know, give us a couple more months to, you know, throw in the nuances, throw in the audibles, throw in the you know the motions. Uh, and, and then we'll be more prepared to play. That's why, in my opinion, like I said, fall camp is much more of an indication of what's going on.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things that Nate was alluding to, and he he clarified a little bit because uh, I wasn't sure exactly you know what what prompted the the uh, question or, or comment, but he he brought up the NC State uh spring game. And that was one where it was, you know, not too evenly drafted teams and, and not, you know, first defense versus first offense. It was ones versus twos, I, I believe. And it ended up being, you know, 50 to seven and, and everybody, you know, the quarterback looked great and and uh, all of that. And you know his his thought was hey, you know, what did I get out of that? And that might have been by design, I mean Dave Doran you know might not want you to get much out of that uh not not necessarily just us viewing it, but um the the uh other teams that might watch it or or whatever, but also I thought it was interesting that there was a quote from Dave Doran getting more back to to n c state in particular uh that I saw after the game it was it was interesting to me, it struck out to me because I've been thinking we talked a lot about North Carolina last year and we were lower on, on North Carolina than most. That made me very nervous. It, it turned out to be okay for us, but I've, I've kind of been in my head a little bit comparing some of the early, early hype for NC State to similar hype that we saw for, for North Carolina last year and thought it was pretty interesting. Dave Doran uh, basically, called you know, uh, brought that to our attention that that he's thinking of similar thing, uh, and doesn't want his team kind of to fall victim to what North Carolina might have, where maybe they were a little too overhyped or, or you know overrated or, or what have you. But uh, he said, and and I'll quote: uh, "They're really motivated." Talking about his team, I think they've heard about it since we got back. The way too early every thing. I think we watched that happen across the road at the other school. Uh, We understand that if you don't take care of business, it doesn't matter what people say about you. So our guys have a chip on their shoulder. They're very motivated. Uh, We didn't get to the ACC championship last year. Still have a lot to prove. I think you'll see a very motivated roster when you get back out there. I just thought that was interesting to, to basically, you know, (laughs) say, yeah, we we don't want to be North Carolina. Uh, We don't, we don't want to, to, let, we want to learn from, from what happened to them, I guess. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because I, I see some similarities. I mean, I, I think NC State is going to be a pretty good team, and, and we'll talk a little bit uh, more in detail maybe later as to why. But I also am not fully bought in and and some of my concerns i mean yeah devin leary has looked really really good he's put up good numbers he looked great in the spring game last year he was great uh the defense in particular very good i mean one of the most experienced units in the country uh top five in defensive roster strength uh according to our numbers so far but i i feel like you know i've got some questions with maybe their offensive playmakers they did lose a lot of production especially the running back position so we'll get more in the the nuts and bolts later but uh or another day but i i i don't know that that comment just struck me as interesting that's not necessarily something you one you don't usually compare yourself to another school especially another rival especially so you know close by in a way that kind of you know uh it wasn't disparaging to them, but was a little closer to that maybe than than he might have intended. I don't know. Uh, but it was interesting to me just because going into it, I've been thinking more and more about, is NC State a little like North Carolina was last year? And then also I've been thinking about North Carolina because, as we'll talk about they're pretty long on our change in roster strength numbers from, from last year to this year. Uh, there's a lot of talk about them being maybe a post-hype sleeper, and I'm not quite sure I buy into that either. But anyway, I, I, I spent a little time uh, looking into NC State this weekend, and, and uh, you know things just popped in my mind there, but but thought that, that quote was
1: particularly interesting. I, I like it. I like the quote. Any, anytime you can um, hammer on your uh, in-state rival, uh, in a quote uh, i I think it's great Xavier your your thoughts on uh, you know what NC state here was saying interesting is the word
2: <laughs> is the word I, I think would obviously first come to mind, but what what I would say is you know i I would agree with it, and ultimately, I didn't look in too much to it. Obviously, we talked about earlier, I was kind of, you know, at baseball games. uh but yeah, I, I think. That going into de- going into any detail about it at this point, I don't have that. I'll be honest with you guys, I don't have that much of a take on it. And I know that is weird coming from the politician that is Javier Trish, but I do not have that much of a take on this. Uh, maybe that's because I just when it comes to NC State, I'm not too tapped in, or you know, I, I'm just I'm, I'm going to abstain from saying anything that later on could be used against me in the world of Twitter. All right. So see, and I think that's a little interesting,
1: <laughs> Who are you, and what is happening right now? <laughs> Part of
0: what was interesting to me is that Dave Doran didn't take that track that you just did. <laughs> like he he he
1: put it out there. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean no, but I
2: mean this is what I mean. Like I, coaches doing this, in my opinion, is, is a ballsy move. So I respect him for doing that. Absolutely. And, and I mean, if you if you understand your program already, then by all means speak up and like, you know, not everybody has to be saving, right? Like I do not everybody has to keep it so close to the vest that you don't even know, you know, who's wearing what number by the time the season starts. Like, you know, like it doesn't have to be that close to the vest. I also think, you know, him doing this is a, I would love to see more coaches do this to be perfectly honest with you. Um, You know, I'm shocked that, and I may be wrong, but I feel like Mike Gundy may have done this at one point in his career as well. But like, you know,
1: those are the No way, not Gundy. No way he'd (laughs) stick his foot in his mouth. Next thing you're gonna tell me, Mike Leach said something unbecoming. Come on. We're you know, we've got an off season without him doing
2: something just yet. and I'm just waiting for it. Like we're only in April, but like Yeah, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> April, dude.
1: It is Mike Leach can start of early time for him to screw something up. Mike yeah, Mike Leach
2: t- typically gets started pretty early pretty early. Like right around St. Patrick's Day, he's like lets one off and you're like, Oh, okay. Hey, <laughs> hey Mike. Uh but no, yeah, I would love to have more coaches do this and
1: be a little bit more brash uh in front of the podium, to be perfectly honest. Uh, yeah, I mean look, there's uh there, there's a lot happening right now, but these quotes, these are the fun quotes. When when uh you see a coach digging in against another team or coach, these are fun in the offseason going to get a lot of articles uh written about them. Anything else Nick on Slovis or I know you want to talk about uh Stanford running back EJ Smith?
0: Well, I so you know, Slovis sounded like didn't look great. I I haven't uh seen a replay of the, the pit uh, game quite yet, but sounded like he you know didn't look great under 50% completion through a pick uh, sounded like another likely pick was dropped. Um, also sounded like at least one likely touchdown was dropped. We did have a lot of weather this weekend. I mean, the Clemson game, I, I know everybody was uh, talking about that. Oh yeah. You know, this, this offense still looks bad. Part of that is the offensive line, you know, didn't look very good. They've had a lot of injuries. Part of it was weather. you know, those sound like excuses, but, but they are factors. Should weather. if Slovis's just, hands are bigger than Pickett's, uh,
1: which I got to assume they are. Is that, is weather that should not have any, <laughs> uh, in it. Well, I just, you know, Kenny Pickett, smallest hands in the history of, uh, hands. <laughs> if you ask. NFL right. I was going
0: to say, people, doesn't everybody, so. uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, th- we talked about it a little last week, last week. I don't, I try not to read into too much. I, I try not to have expectations that are too, too high um, this time of year, but you know, we, we're, we're given a little piece and and we try to pull some value from it, some information from it. Uh, and yeah, Slovis didn't, didn't look great. And last time we saw him on the field, he didn't look great. Same with, dj and and so uh that's going to be something that we'll hear more during uh the lead up to the season is is hey these guys haven't proven to us that they're any better so why should we expect them to be better in the fall but there's there's still plenty of time uh and one spring game you know whether it's a, a modest uh a stat line that you put up or or even if it just didn't look good. It uh, doesn't necessarily, to me, mean that that those guys won't be better in the fall. doesn't mean they will be better, but it doesn't mean they won't be better. Yeah, just one quick note on EJ Smith. I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, we've mentioned a little bit this offseason that we're hearing Debo Samuel's name thrown about a lot. Everybody kind of wants a, a Debo, you know, a, a Debo Samuel type weapon in, in their offense and who could be the closest to that. But at Stanford, I mean, you know, comparison uh, of of fairly recent memory that struck me. It sounded like, you know, David Shaw uh, compared E.J. Smith to Christian McCaffrey and and that they might want to use him in a a similar way, has a lot of uh, the same skills as far as, uh, obviously, uh, 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 the potential was a... uh, uh, pure running back, but Shaw, you know, specifically, and it's not a shock. I mean, EJ Smith is is Emmitt uh, Smith Jr., right? So, uh, not a shock. But but Shaw said, "Hey, this is a future NFL mm-hmm. running back." That uh, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, they tend to have some success, and and maybe EJ Smith could be that kind of guy. Uh, hasn't been the go to guy there quite yet, but thought it was pretty interesting. It, it it caught my ear, of course, when Dave Doran said what he said, kind of pulling North Carolina into the conversation. It also catches my ear a little bit when coaches make comparisons to former great players, because uh, on both instances, head coaches are usually pretty guarded when they uh, do things like that. And so I, I it does pique my interest a little bit and, and thought that was, uh, you know, just something to note there that, that EJ Smith is is – earning rave reviews, I guess, this spring.
1: I mean, that, that's real nice to see Xavier. Um, you, your thought, what, what do you think about that when uh, players get comparisons? Do you think it's hyperbole most of the time or is it something that uh, you are? Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just a hype the player, but it, this specific scenario, do you think this is because this was kind of out of the blue? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, is that is does that hold a little more water to you or is it just they're all kind of hyperbole?
2: I think they're all hyperbole, but also I think that's a challenge. When, when coaches typically do that, it's challenging that player to be not, I mean, to be as great as the person that they're, you know, uh, equating them to. You know, and I think that that's a big part of what you guys, what we have to remember in this is that at the end of the day, you know, you've got to have some of these kids try to reach for something, right? If you feel like you're already, court, you know, running back one, you know that coming into the year, nobody's taking your spot. There's also, you know, that that's cool, but like there's also a, a level in which, You can either be complacent with that or you can, you know, want to rise even more than just being quarterback uh, running back one at Stanford, right? Let's be one of the greats. And if David Shaw is saying, hey, this kid reminds me of Christian McCaffrey, E.J. Smith might see it as a challenge that now he has to go out there and be, you know, of Christian McCaffrey's ilk, you know, and and, and reach to, you know, reach for the stars, essentially. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I think it's just hyperbole. I mean, it's nice to hear, you know, you know, when a coach does say that, coaches typically do not come out and say that right away. So that's always cool. Uh, but nine times out of 10, I just, I'm like, okay, great. You know, like it, it would be, it would be if like, you know, Pat Narduzzi was like, you know, Keita Slovis looks like the next damn Reno. And you're just like, okay, great. Like, <laughs> like twenty.
1: Come on, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> You're like, okay, thanks for that tidbit. We'll put that on freezing cold takes in two to have to, you know, in, in, in six months when Keenan Slovis has had like a two interception game and you guys are like two and two. Like that's really what ends up happening with a lot of these quotes. They just end up becoming, you know, either you throw them in the trash or you just are like whatever. Unless like in the, in the shock value, EJ Smith becomes better than Christian McCaffrey. Then you come back and like, you point to this moment in history where David Shaw called this, you know, uh, four months before the season started.
1: Um, we've got other spring games coming up as well here. Um, Florida is going to be on Thursday night, and then we have a ton on Saturday, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Arkansas, Miami, Mississippi State, Michigan State, Wake Forest, Votech and South Carolina all coming up. I mean, it's hard to narrow it down. Uh, as the ones you're most excited for here, Nick. But is there one in particular that you're like, "I this is going to be live on my screen, and I'll watch the other ones," you know, <laughs> uh, uh, later uh, at some later date. Is there one that uh, stands out in particular to you? Uh, so, I guess if
0: if I were to try to catch one on on Saturday, and I I'm not sure that I will, but it's always pretty interesting to me. Um, the Alabama spring game, Nick Saban's always mic'd up and, and, you know, walking around. I I thought I did catch a a bit of the Clemson one and and liked that Devo Sweeney was, uh, you know, on the microphone for, for most of it. And not that there's anything earth shattering that he says, but it, it, uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's just nice to hear. It's nice to, to, for me to, uh, you know, see those guys coach up players on the field in, in real time a little bit. And, and, uh, always just, just, uh, a neat little thing that they do. Um, I am particularly intrigued just in, in general for Ohio state this year. Uh, I think that Alabama and Ohio state are, are pretty clearly the top two teams in college football at this point in the early off season. And, and, to me, you know, it's basically uh, a two horse race until proven otherwise. Um, And and so those two teams in particular, I'll, I'll certainly want to take a look at. I I don't necessarily expect that I'll learn a ton other than, yeah, they've got a lot of great players um, and more young, great players that are going to be stars eventually probably if they don't transfer first. Um, But you know, uh, it, it, like like always, it'll be uh, good to see if there is anything exceptional. But I'll also try my best not to um, overreact if there is. I mean, we'll talk here in, in just a second when we get to the transfer portal. That sometimes a guy really you know makes a lot of headlines in the spring, and then by this time the next year, he's. Looking for a new place to play, so um, it, it's it's uh, always fun to get a little feel of college football, um, and it's it's definitely fun that we're going to see who, in my opinion, are the, the the top two national title contenders this year. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll try not to pay too close of attention because I, I'll try not to overreact in, in a good way or a bad way to to any
1: of it. Xavier, is there one game that sticks out in particular to you that you're looking forward to watching here? I mean,
2: I could be a homer and say Georgia, um, but I'm not. Uh, South Carolina, for me, has got to be number one on that list. I got to see what he uh, with, uh, Spencer Rattler looks like in that system. Miami is another one uh, with their quarterback situation. And, you know, we, we saw – we got to see their quarterback in limited – amount of action towards the end of last year after Derrick King got hurt. But I think genuinely he, you know, he's been touted as one of the better quarterbacks in college football. Uh, There's a lot of hype around him um, after some of the efforts he put together last year, I believe it was against Georgia tech. He had a really, really good game against last year. Uh, So I'm really excited to see Uh, Miami's quarterback situation as well Uh, what Michigan State does from the running uh, from the running situation obviously now that Kenneth Walker is off into the league how their offense looks now uh, will they give Peyton Thorne uh, the keys Uh, I'm not sure sure Uh, but he definitely needs them uh, for them to be a a competitive outfit this year I think they got a bit of a a purple patch last year. when it comes to their running game, you know, no, I don't think they even expected to be Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker to be that good uh, in the running game last year. So we're expecting the quarterback to be a little bit better uh, for them to be, you know, uh, to compete in the Big Ten. I um, mean, Arkansas is, is going is to be consistently on my radar for probably the next two to three years, unless they just find a way to, you know, slip, the fall off the pace and, and go back to being more of a mediocrity. But they've just been a really fun team to watch understand Pittman um, and to see what they are going to do with the quarterback situation. Obviously uh, you know, they, they bring back one of my favorite quarterbacks to watch. And, and I just think, you know, to see what they're able to do now understand now with nobody kind of being surprised about Arkansas, right? Like Felipe Franks comes in, they have an okay year last year. They were ranked in the top 10 at one point, I believe. uh, And definitely the top 15 for, for a good part of the year. Nobody's really sleeping on what Arkansas can do anymore. Now with Sam Pittman at at the head coach. Um, And and now I want to see what they're able to do. And what they look like now that you've got kind of two years under your belt, and you're able to bring in better recruits because of it, I want to see what their spring game looks like. Obviously, Sam Pittman is a guy in the trenches, so that's probably what he'll be focusing on. But I'm looking at what they're looking. uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do on the outside. Arkansas was a really good team in between the tackles last year. When you got to the outside and the skill positions, a little bit more rough, and that's what hampered them in in bigger games like against Georgia. They really just did not have the ability on the outside to spread you out, and and outside of really Traylon Burks, they didn't have anybody. So, I'm, I'm really looking to see what they're able to do from a skill position standpoint, losing such a talented guy in Burks, um, and seeing whether and how they'll be able to compete in an SEC West that I think outside of really Alabama and AM, you know, maybe completely up for grabs outside of those two uh, for that third spot, maybe even for that second spot, because AM is not a complete shoe in. Uh, but I think could be, you know, a, a wide open, you know, outside of Alabama is a really a wide open division uh, when you really look at the. Returning production for both team for all the teams in there. You look at how LSU had to hit the transfer portal so hard. Arkansas could be that second team um, in the SEC West to compete at a high level. So yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a couple other things uh, that you mentioned here, Nick. Just in the notes, some of these are funny. My favorite one is the USF. uh, You know, Jeff Scott saying that they're not going to stream their spring game uh, to give opponents something to look for. Like they really need that against USF anyway. I mean that's just eye rolling stuff right there. Uh yours versus Hudson Card uh, is is interesting. Um you said that uh USC has its own uh competition. This is one like we were mentioning before between Caleb Williams and, and Miller Moss. I- anything else you want to hit uh before we uh move over to the transfer portal here?
0: Well, one one last thing I guess uh, cuz I the the USF thing is uh is borderline silly to me Uh, perhaps, you know, the, the uh, going a bit too far, I guess with, with uh, you mentioned, especially at USF, but the, we did talk a little bit about the simplified play calling, but at NC state, it was kind of interesting. And some other teams do this as well, where you actually will put trick plays on on film during your spring game. And, and you might actually do uh, when you're not being super vanilla, you're doing something uh, a little out of character or a little, you know, on the the side of being a trick play or, or, or what have you, because you want, and I believe Doran actually had a, another quote uh, sort of to this effect that, Hey, yeah, we want, we want our, opponents to spend time worrying about it and practicing for it and, and that sort of thing. So it, it is a little interesting, just the different uh, mindset and, and, I guess, plan of action that coaches and, and programs have uh, with their spring game, what they want to accomplish, whether it's not showing anything, whether it's being as secretive as, as possible, or showing Uh, you know, more or or even trying to, you know, throw a team off the scent in a way to to show them something that they might not ever uh, use in an actual game. So uh, just, just sort of interesting to see how everybody, you know, chooses to use this uh, spring game showcase, uh, whether it's, you know, on TV or or, or what
2: have you, just interesting, different approaches, I guess.
1: Xavier, any uh, final thoughts before we go to the transfer portal?
2: You know, I mean, we're coming now to – I won't say we're coming now to the end of spring games, but I I genuinely do think that right now – I mean, at the end of the – I'll say this. Spring games is a great idea to look at some of the positions that, you know, they struggled the most with last year, especially if they're being replaced by freshmen, sophomores, or even in some cases redshirt, you know, redshirt sophomores. So, like, for instance, you look at Georgia's defensive line – that's going to be a huge place to look at outside of really Nolan Smith and uh, Jalen Carter. You're going to have to really field an entirely new defensive front and linebacking room. So those types of situations are what you want to look at when you're looking at spring games. For those who are watching the big games, uh, you know, Alabama. And lastly, I'll done on this. Like we did with Clemson last year. Let's not get too excited about some position groups just because they have a really good day. I, you know, I, I say that because Clemson spring game last year was like a Randy Moss effect. everybody, who had a pair of gloves that w- had receiver in their position group, just made amazing plays last year. I remember walking away from that spring game being like, their receiving corps is going to be one of the best in the country. And it was okay. So, like, you know, I, I, you know, just not being too hyperbolic about, you know, what a spring game is able to, sh- uh, to show us.
1: Right. Uh, now, the transfer portal is the most popular club in town. And you're going to have to get a wristband and get it scanned and everything uh, because it is about to get jumping. I didn't know this, uh, Nick, you, you put it on the sheet here, that not only are transfers expected to increase the screen, as spring cans come to an end, but the NCAA has a May 1st deadline for non-exemption players to notify their current school of their intention to transfer in order to be eligible to play this fall. So I'm sure, you know, as Everyone else preps for the NFL draft. Uh, Nick is here prepping to uh, update rosters with new players because it's going to get moving and shaking. It's going to look like, uh, you know, one of those trains that you see on YouTube videos where it's got people on the roof and on the sides and all that good stuff. So it's going (laughs) to be one of those coming here uh, pretty soon. Uh, But we did get some big news this week. Wednesday morning, former USC and Georgia QB JT Daniels announced that he has committed to West Virginia. He had Oregon State and Missouri uh, mixed in there. Georgia also lost a pair of reserve offensive linemen, Clay Webb and uh, Amaris Mims, who, like Daniels, are both former five-star prospects over the weekend. On Tuesday, Alabama did get a big, big offensive tackle in Tyler Steen, who started 30 games at Vanderbilt and was kind of a coveted transfer. So big news for them. Um They also Alabama is rumored to be interested in former Louisville wide receiver Tyler Harrell, one of the fastest players in the country who entered the portal on Tuesday. So that would be interesting. They did lose a big time prospect in Kamar Wheaton, the five star running back who signed with Alabama last month, has transferred to SMU which was kind of expected. Penn State landed highly rated Maryland edge rusher, uh, Demunian Robinson. Last week, Florida State cornerback J- Jarvis Brownlee announced his intent to transfer to Louisville. The Seminoles have basically traded Brownlee to the cards for Grady Vance. Um, uh, another Alabama transfer, A.G. Hall, who was a big CFF guy because he was having great reports from practice uh, last season, um, ended up transferring or going into the transfer portal. He hasn't uh, chose destination yet. Former LSU linebacker Josh White went to Baylor and reunited with Dave Aranda. You know, these leading receivers, Steve Jenkins, entered the portal last week, though he could end up returning. And the Sunbelt QB carousel continues with former Brady McBride, uh, Texas State QB going to App State. So um, lots of news already. And this seems to be just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of transfer portals coming up over this next uh, couple weeks here, Nick. So, uh, you know, you got these ones down, but buckle in, it's about to be a wave, right? (laughs) For sure.
0: It's uh, definitely, it does come in waves and, you know, right after the the end of the season was a pretty heavy time. It had died down a little bit as spring uh, practices were, were starting across the country, but now that they're, coming to a close and, and we are, you know, this next week, uh, this, this Saturday will be one of the busiest Saturdays for, uh, spring games. So we're, we're, you know, a couple dozen, uh, programs will be wrapping up. And, and so I'm sure we'll get more news from that particular group. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll have another huge round of spring games. And, and so, uh, I, you know, around that May 1st, deadline we'll, we'll certainly uh continue to hear a lot of names and and probably uh a few big names and and you know this this particular uh news roundup has a lot more big names than we've talked about in the past few weeks and we've talked about Daniels where he might uh end up and and West Virginia seems like a pretty good fit he's got some familiarity with the coaching staff there they certainly you know could use the help We'll get to in, in just a second. His addition, uh, numbers wise, has, has already made an impact in the way that we evaluate West Virginia on paper, at least. Um, but you know, how many five stars did you mention? There were three uh, from Georgia, just just individually. Uh, one at, at Alabama, um, multiple you know starters, guys who who I expect will be major impact players. One that probably you know will fly under the radar for a lot of folks is, is Robinson moving from Maryland to Penn State. Penn State is uh, you know had a, a big hole uh, on that defense uh, coming off the edge. They they've you know had some guys injured last year, uh, but then they got a, a really really solid year from uh, Arnold. Ebikiti, the transfer from Temple, who has just shot up draft boards uh, in in recent months, and with him moving on, you know Robinson is a a guy who's really really highly rated uh, coming out of high school. Did get his feet wet a little bit last year at Maryland, and and you would have to expect that uh, the Penn State coaching staff, you know, not necessarily that they'll plug him in and and he'll be able to just uh, replace the the production and and you know, have quite the same impact that uh Ibikite did. But, you know, it, it certainly will help, certainly help uh maybe fill in some of that uh that they that they lost with with such a talented player. So uh it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Uh I I do do think it is interesting, uh kind of funny that the Sun Belt there's been some kind of shifting, you know, moving. Uh, what is it? Musical chairs a little bit. Uh, the former starter at Texas State, now at App State. The the former, uh, the, the new starter at Texas State used to be at Arkansas State, and you know, we'll, we'll see if there's more uh, to that. But App State was a little bit of a surprise for Brady McBride, especially since they you know bring their starting quarterback back, and Bride, McBride is uh, somebody who probably expects to be a starter you would have you would have thought he would so uh, we'll see how it all plays out I I know a lot of folks are interested uh, in Wheaton and that move to SMU back closer to home made perfect sense people have been talking about it for weeks and and he's somebody that we didn't get a chance to see on the field last year because of injury um, but I know a lot of folks are, are really really excited about him um, just in a you know everyday standpoint, but uh, from a CFF perspective is, is where I heard probably the most chatter uh, around that. And so they're definitely, you know, anytime you can get a, a former five-star guy drop down to the group of five level expectations are pretty high that he's going to become a, a big time uh, uh, player at, at that position. So uh, we'll see if it plays out quite like that and, and uh, we'll see what other news we get uh, in the, you know, Days and weeks ahead because I'm sure there'll be plenty.
1: Xavier, your thoughts on any of these transfers? Any standout? Well, I mean, Are you excited about them?
2: Yeah, no, I, I love the JT Daniels move. Like I said, it feels, it feels very Will esque in the move, and I think that it gives him an opportunity to raise his draft stock. You know, uh, you know, next year's draft class could be wide open outside of really Bryce Young and CJ Stroud for that third quarterback. You know, some of obviously has been Spencer Rattler has gotten some news. Maybe DJ Younger you know, revamps himself. But JT Daniels is a guy that you know although he hasn't had the consistency his numbers have looked really good when he has been able to play barring the inj- injuries that he's sustained at uh, USC and obviously losing his job pretty much due to injury at Georgia last season so I'm excited to see what JT Daniels does um, obviously I didn't want I'm not as excited to see Mims leave um, I, I feel like the offensive line was well uh, a rather weak spot for Georgia coming into this year uh, but you know all signs point that this was just you know him deciding to go another way and it wasn't any hard feeling so I'm you know, hopefully, you know, excited to see where he goes, and hopefully, you know, hopefully, it's not Alabama. That that would just really hurt. Uh, to lose another guy to Alabama would just really suck. Uh, but you know, hey, you know, go go make your money, kid, because obviously he's been a, a really good player, uh, and being a former five star, wherever he goes, he's he's expected to, to hit the ground running. You know, um, I would uh, Kamar Wheaton going to. SMU, I think, is going to be so fun. This is a kid who has all the ability out of the backfield to make
1: the big CFF move. Yeah, I know that.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He's got the ability to make a, a ton of plays out of the backfield in the SMU system. He's going to have more than enough opportunities to hit big play after big play after big play. So I love that move for him. uh Brownly going to Louisville is a sneakily great move for him as well. uh You know, Louisville needs, uh you know, secondary help. Also, Louisville under radar school for, for, for DBs, you know, obviously Jair Alexander is the first thing that comes to mind, but you know, they've put some pretty decent corners into the NFL uh, as of late. And, you know, if that's what you're going there for, which obviously all kids should be leaving to, you know, want to, you know, boost their draft stock and obviously want to play. It's a really good move for him. So I, I, I like that. Um, and, you know, it's funny. So I don't know if you guys know about the G. Hall situation, but. It was reported like three days before he actually entered the transfer portal that he had entered the transfer portal. And (laughs) I don't know. I can't find the tweet I was looking for while Nick was talking. There was literally a a tweet posted that was like, Hall has entered the transfer portal. He quote tweeted it and said, I haven't heard that yet. And then enters the portal. And it was like the most like...
1: Uh, come on man you know you're going in the portal. yeah like, like it was you like told, you told the wrong person <laughs> uh-huh. they told the media it's pretty obvious he's a kid you know like yeah. he, he hasn't learned that much it,
2: it just yet, it just obviously. was like so it was like so funny to see it because i literally was scrolling on my twitter and i saw that and i was like okay well maybe he's not entering the portal and then two day two or three days later i was like well he's in the portal so like <laughs> all of this was true so yeah uh but you know I, that, I just thought that was funny but wherever he lands i think he's going to be great um, he was a guy who I think got a lot of slack for a, a, an underwhelming national championship game, but the kid's still hella talented and has the ability. It, ha- it has all the ability. And, hey, we can use you at Georgia to be perfectly honest with you. So. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you listen to the podcast, G-Hall, I don't know if you do. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, and, you know, to say Brady McBride go from Texas State to Appalachian State just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit because the Sun Belt – I mean, the Sun Belt just like –
1: yeah, we musical pass around chairs, like Nick said.
2: Yeah, yeah, we pass around quarterbacks like it's going out of style, you know. And, and so, with him going up there, uh, you know, uh, honestly, we'll, we'll see him again. So, I mean, from a Georgia State standpoint, cool. If he ends up becoming the starter, that's great because we've seen you the last couple of years. Um, and he hasn't torched just that bad yet. But obviously, I have state's talents a lot different from Texas State. Uh, but I just thought it was funny to
1: see that. Yeah, I mean. You know, musical chairs. We'll see honestly, We'll see where they all end up. They, you know, they should do a fantasy draft every year. Honestly, when dollar. Georgia State's uh, quad Brown into the
2: portal last year or in the middle of last season, the first like two or three schools that were named were like all those schools. It was like, yeah, he went to Arkansas State. It was like, <laughs> yeah, it was just like a formality that we thought he was going to be. Like, we were like, just don't go to Georgia Southern, please and thank you. Like, that was the <laughs> only thing we requested. We were like, as a fan base, we're like, don't go to Southern. We don't want to have to hate you. But like, go anywhere else. You can have a good time.
1: Uh, Now, the last thing we're going to talk about today is uh, roster strength. Obviously, you guys know that the depth charts for CFP Winning Edge are now available on Patreon. And um, it's just uh, a bunch of uh, great information there. But one of the biggest things is the change in roster strength from 2021 to 2022. And, Nick, you have listed, um, you know, the biggest pluses and minuses, which... Uh, you know, the, the I think the minuses are less surprising because, like, you know, I mean, just spoiler alert, Iowa State lost the most. And uh, it's because they have had those guys, half their roster was starting for four straight years and they finally hit their senior year and, and they're gone. Um, you know, uh, South Carolina is at the tippy top and we saw all of the awesome transfers that they had uh, this season in terms of improving here. So. Um, Nick, why don't you break down uh, how you calculate uh, roster strength, and uh, then any anything you want to talk about in terms of the differences here?
0: So, you know, I reference roster strength quite a bit. It, it's one of the primary uh, metrics or, or rating, you know, whatever you want to call it, primary numbers that that I use and, and uh, refer to quite a bit, and. The idea is basically, if anybody's familiar with the 247 Sports team talent composite, it, it's kind of the same idea a little bit. Uh, it, it's the, the idea is how, I mean, it's in the name, how strong is this roster? You know, how talented is this team? That's the team to, uh, talent composite. But what roster strength does, which I, I think is helpful and a little bit different, is uh, we adjust for experience and production. So, this is our individual player ratings. Uh, you know, we do use those talent projections that come from 247 Sports and Rivals, but we also uh, make some slight tweaks to where guys are more experienced. They get a few, you know, extra points because of that. And especially if guys have have, uh, produced on the field in their careers, we try to, especially if if a player was underrated, if, you know, a a group of five uh, program, you know, was able to to scoop up a guy and and he goes out and blossoms into one of the better players in college football we want to be able to show that not underrate that player but allow him to catch up a little bit as far as the ratings go but um basically we're able you know the way we calculate it and it is not perfect like everything we do i always try to to mention that um but we're able to put a number on how talented a roster uh each program has how strong that roster is and we're able to compare from one year to the next, and that can be a little bit tricky because we do add those production points throughout the year. And of course, you know injuries impact roster strength a bit. But uh, what this particular calculation compares is the roster strengths at, at the end of the season, and the, that's when those depth charts were, you know, put in place. Finally, so any guys who suffered a late injury, you know, put them back in. So a team's not just over penalized for that. Um, But then teams that, you know, did have productive seasons and and things like that, uh, you know, that roster got better over the course of the year. So compare it from that very end roster strength number to the one that we've got currently. And as you mentioned, South Carolina is the most improved team. From a roster standpoint in college football. And that's going to be interesting for us. It's going to be a little tricky to project South Carolina because um, they're a team that I think overachieved a little bit last year. Not many people had high expectations at all for South Carolina. They looked like one of the weaker teams in the SEC and and you know, a team that probably I would expect most people uh, uh didn't didn't expect to you know that they would be a bowl team, and, and they were able to to put that together. And uh, Shane Beamer's first year got a winning record, and and then have now just sort of accelerated uh, through the transfer portal, as you mentioned. At the end of the 2021 season, South Carolina ranked 54th in roster strength, and as we talked about last week, uh, they're now top 20 nationally, including the number four offense. So they were 63rd in offensive roster strength at the end of last season with a team that went to a bowl game. uh, And now they look like on paper, one of the at least potentially uh, elite, you know, most talented uh, offenses in the country. So that is going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. It's going to be a, a, an interesting test case to see if whether or not we're, a little too high on South Carolina or, or, you know, if if the way we're calculating things are, are uh, on the right track or not, but a lot of the teams close to them probably won't surprise very many people. Uh, We've had conversations about returning production and, and of course, Bill Connolly's numbers have been out for a while now, but Bowling Green is number one in his returning production numbers, the most experienced or, or most returning production in the country overall and on offense and then top four on defense uh, they're number two and and you know most improved roster strength. Air Force is number three. That was a little bit surprising to me. Air Force year to year always has to replace a lot of you know their starting lineup. Just they they have a tendency to guys might not uh, see the field much until their third or fourth year, and then they tend to turn over that roster. Uh, often and Air Force, because again, the way we calculate things is recruiting ratings first. They still don't rank really high in roster stream. They're 116th overall, but that's a, a bit of a jump even you know between this year and last. They've got a pretty experienced team compared to where Air Force usually does, especially on offense. BYU is number four. They're number two in returning production from Connolly's numbers, including the number one defense. And then a team that we've talked about a little bit over the course of the offseason, kind of a, you know, s- sneaky, interesting potential. Uh, you know, a team that could a lot of people think make a, a big step forward. Arizona, they're number five in most improved roster. Some of that is recruiting. They really had a, a very, very strong recruiting class, especially compared to their most recent seasons. Um, But because roster strength, uh, you know, because experience and production are part of that, recruiting can only do so much. So they're one of those teams that did improve through the transfer portal and also uh, just had a a roster that got one year older. That helps the experience part of it as well. So roster strength and the improvement in roster strength is – in a lot of ways similar and, and will you'll see similar patterns in our numbers to those, you know, returning production numbers. We just calculated a a slightly different way. And, and uh, so we're, you know, the experience piece is part of it with Arizona, but also adding talent obviously is part of it as well. I'll just run through quickly. Some of the teams that jumped out to me a little bit in, in other places, Ohio state being a top 10 team is probably pretty scary for a lot of folks because you think of what they lost you know just the receiver position right uh but ohio state has incredible depth um they've made some improvements you know in the secondary that was an area where there's still probably some room to improve there's still some room to improve a little bit at wide receiver not just from a a Pure talent standpoint, they're still one of the you know as far as just average recruiting ratings. I mean, they've got five star after five star coming, but they are fairly young and, and unproven at least on the you know college uh, playing field. But uh, Ohio State has incredible depth and is going to be one of the most talented teams in college football. And that this roster is better than the end of last season's roster is is just. Uh, pretty remarkable, quite honestly, because you look at at, uh, a team like Georgia, not surprising national champion, historic defense loss is going to lose what a dozen NFL draft picks. Maybe Uh, they are at the the far other end of the spectrum, 125th. But, uh, you know, teams with with a similar talent profile and for Ohio State, to actually be adding roster strength is kind of rare the way we calculate it. One that surprised me, uh, and Xavier mentioned Arkansas earlier, is a a team that he's very interested in. I agree, and I thought that they actually wouldn't be anywhere near the top 15 in in improvement uh, in roster strength, but they're 14th. They did have a lot of young guys get playing time, especially on – the offensive side of the ball last year, quarterback, running back. Um, you know they they have added some transfers and, and things like that. But I thought Arkansas might be uh, just sort of as much you know losing Burks as you mentioned, losing some guys on the defensive line, offensive line. I expected that number to be. Uh, maybe an even switch to where the the offense or excuse me, the, the roster hasn't necessarily got much stronger, but it didn't really get much weaker because they've been recruiting well. They've been getting guys through the transfer portal as well. But to be a top 15 improver was was interesting to me. Um, LSU is a team that I've mentioned we're pretty high on and they're in the top 20 in roster strength improvement. Uh, Texas is a top 25 team as far as their roster strength, Um, you know, improvement from last year to to this year. They've certainly uh, recruited well, but you know, transfers are going to be a key part of that. The quarterback, as we mentioned, you know, Quinn Ewers, we think is probably the favorite to start, but um, that is, is a a piece of this. Uh, But then on the other end of the spectrum, West Virginia is now 86th on this list. So their rosters turn, you know, gone in the wrong direction a little bit. Uh, And part of that is, is losing transfers, but they made a big jump with JT Daniels Uh, earlier this morning on this list. West Virginia was 115th. So they had lost uh, quite a lot, but adding JT Daniels Uh, and, and I did, we've talked about it a little bit in the past. JT Daniels did get a little bit of a downgrade in his rating, uh, just because he's, you know, wasn't able to win the, the starting job last year. Uh, I mean, he's looked good when he has played, but I, I, I do think it's probably unfair to expect him to play at that, you know, five-star elite level at least. Yet, maybe he'll get a, a, a bump uh, once we see, you know, once he lives up to that. But uh, for for right now, at least, but he is, you know, a highly rated quarterback and, and an improvement. On paper, uh, compared to to what they had coming in, so they've made a little bit of a jump. But uh, toward the the very end of it, you mentioned Ohio or excuse me, Iowa State lost the most. They lost so many experienced players. Uh, but the second, uh, you know, biggest drop in roster strength, a little bit surprising to me, was Ball State. And you know, they had such a great year in twenty twenty, returned so much last year. In a lot of ways, very similar to Iowa State, uh very experienced team, but, you know, disappointed somewhat compared to what their expectations or, or potential looked like. Um, but they could take a big, big step back. One that surprised me quite a bit, and it's not all Sam Howell, uh, but North Carolina ranks 128th on this. Lost a lot. You know, that's more than Nevada who is dead, you know, toward the, the bottom uh, in every category and returning production, including last overall, last on offense, but they're 127th in in you know loss of roster strength, uh, the way we calculate it. Uh, Georgia 125th, as I mentioned. Indiana 124th. That was a, a bit of a surprise. My just inclination is that Indiana so far underachieved last year, going two and ten, that they have to be better. That that just <laughs> you know the other end of regression to the mean. Is, right. I just thought, absolutely, is going to be better, right? I mean, they've, they've been well coached. They're pretty experienced. I mean, there are a lot of fifth- and sixth-year seniors, especially on defense, guys that came back for that extra year this year. But they still, you know, they've had some transfers leave. They've had uh, guys run out of eligibility or, or, you know, move on to NFL opportunities uh, on offense, skill positions, and and. Uh, all of that. So it was a little bit of a surprise to me to see Indiana on the, the far end of this list, especially, uh, you know, as a team that had a bad record last year. But I I think just I still think they will be a little bit better. But right now, what evidence is there actually of that based on roster? So uh, Arizona State, probably not a surprise. They lost a lot. They're 122nd on this list. And then just you know some other teams that we expected. Oklahoma State had a, a special year last year. Cincinnati, of course, uh, and lost a lot of guys who are going to be playing in the NFL. Both of those, um, so throwing a lot of teams out just sort of all at once and and on both ends of it. Uh, but it, it uh, to me, you know, I, I think about what what can we learn from this? What can we learn from a team that is? on the very high end or on the very low end because that's, that's probably where we're going to see, you know, I referenced Connolly. He's he's for years said, when you look at the returning production numbers, it might not necessarily matter if Alabama is 99th or, or whatever, but the, that top five, that top 10, maybe there's something you can learn there. Maybe. Yeah. Bowling green, is a team that could take a step forward because they are so far on the high end of returning production. And Cincinnati, yeah, it would make sense to expect they're going to take a step back because, you know, they're a group of five team that's losing how many draft picks after putting together a a really, really special season. But so, you know, we might not learn a ton about every team or we might not learn a, a ton even about you know the the hundred and ten in the middle, but maybe that top ten, bottom ten uh, might be worth a little extra attention. To, you know when you're when you're thinking about can I realistically expect uh, North Carolina to be that post hype sleeper when even though they disappointed last year, expectations are going to be much more manageable this year, but. You know, they're they're in the bottom four as far as their roster, the way we calculated it at this point this year is worse than that team that disappointed so much last year. So, uh, yeah, I think they certainly have an opportunity to have a better record. Not saying that they won't. But when we're thinking of a team, you know, that, that has an opportunity to surprise or could make a, a – you know, unexpected challenge at an ACC title, you know, potentially. At least the way we calculate it, I I have my doubts because it looks like to me right now, North Carolina's roster is not as good maybe as it was even last year. So maybe they're a better team, you know. I mean, one of the things, oddly enough, one of the, the spring games I got to see the most of was Arizona State. And one, I took personal offense to the uh, broadcast crew that uh, specifically said that uh, making projections this time of year is just uh, nonsense or or whatever word they use. I don't know. I I, I was so offended. I I just, uh, my ears weren't working anymore. But uh, on the other hand, you know, the, the big, big talking point, and they were, they were, you know, kind of smoothing the edges of it a little bit uh, from other places that that you would hear this discussion, but about JT Daniels leaving and then who's left behind and, and sort of the the you know locker room stuff and and the NCAA investigations and, and that sort of stuff uh, were were kind of the unspoken, you know, basis of this. But they talked a lot about Arizona State being a closer team and and, you know, maybe the outside everything going on there and we've, we've talked about this a little, this off season as well. There's the potential that, you know, the wheels could fall off that Arizona state could just become a complete dumpster fire, but there's also the potential that they kind of, you know, it galvanizes the, the locker room. Everybody kind of rallies around and, and does uh, become, you know, kind of take that us versus the world mentality and turn that into positive results on the field. Maybe that happens at Arizona state. Maybe it happens at North Carolina. It certainly could. uh, But right now at this point in the process and based on their roster today, April 13th, as we record, I am highly skeptical that uh, at least that ceiling for a team like North Carolina or for Arizona state is particularly high just because they lost a lot of talent, you know, compared to, to the end of the season.
1: Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on uh, looking at this, are there schools that are too high or too low? Or were you surprised to see anyone, any team at uh, a certain position here? What are your thoughts?
2: Oh, I mean, after seeing Arkansas at thir- at 14, the propaganda machine is going to continue to go on um, <laughs> for them being the second best SEC West team going into the next season. Uh, you know, this is just bolstering my argument by the day. I'm a little shocked to see Michigan stay up there, not entirely, but just a little bit, um obviously, when you lose a guy like Kenneth Walker, uh, they must be returning so much talent on the defensive end. but when you return when, when you lose a guy like that was that important, I was a little bit surprised lSU and, and lSU is a, is, a, is a nice case study because of the fact that this is how you kind of revamp through the the portal, you know, like you know, this is a, a perfect case study on how a team can lose all the talent in the world that they've recruited personally. But re- re- rebuild that back by using the portal effectively um, and doing so in position groups that you really need, even when you lose guys like Eli Ricks in the summer uh, or in, in in the winter. So that's another one that I, I really like. Um, uh, I don't think there's any that are too high. Um, I, I think when you look at a lot of the teams on the list, they make sense. Um, the only one I would say like, you know, and this is just me taking a dig at their university, but, you know, Kansas <laughs> Is one of them on their list? Like it's, like it's like okay, yeah, Kansas got better, but like how much better?
1: You know. Hey, you know what? That, I I, like, I will not have <laughs> listen. I will not it, have Kansas slander. It's a good point. I mean, show. they can't
0: they can't play Texas every week, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> yes, I will But, it. but uh, no, so so you bring up a really interesting question, and I I, I think it's worth a little bit of discussion. I know we're kind of running up against where we usually wrap up here, but, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Bowling Green. They've been so bad in recent years that you wonder, okay, can how much better can they actually get? And Kansas, I think, is is in that conversation. Akron as well, who's also top 15. I mean, right there with with Kansas. So at, at a certain level, it's kind of the, the other end of the spectrum with an Auburn or a Georgia. We don't expect Georgia to fall off a cliff. I mean, I I don't expect an LSU like regression from national champion to, you know, 500 team. I I think that that is, is highly unlikely. They might take a little bit of a step back. uh, But, you know, like Alabama, who is often losing, you know, half a dozen or more draft picks, including several first rounders, potentially every year, they just rebuild, reload. And they're, they're, you know, A number like this is not going to impact a team quite like that. But on the other hand, is a number like this for a Kansas, uh, is it sort of the same thing where it could be as high as, you know, you you possibly could get? And can we really expect a huge step forward? You know, I mean, yeah, they might, they were pretty competitive at times last year, had some bright moments and maybe, uh, maybe they're more competitive week in and week out because they're a more experienced team, because they've added some talent through the transfer portal and and the recruiting trail. But it's not that we expect Kansas to just jump up and now obviously, you know, contend for a bowl game. Right. I mean, it's a a question going
1: to be Kansas and Arizona. Not likely. But, uh, you know,
0: it's, it's, I'm glad you brought it up. Because it's, it's a question I have where, Yeah, I do expect the teams kind of on the extreme ends to show improvement. But how much improvement is it realistic to actually expect from a team that is climbing such a steep hill like a Kansas, like an Akron, like a Bowling Green?
1: Uh, There are – I mean, I'm not surprised to see Arizona this high, you know, uh, South Carolina – this high even Kansas like you know those teams that are at the bottom um are are I
2: are, mean yeah to see Arizona up here you know i you know i would sign too if, if they brought back gronk for spring games you know i you know i think <laughs> got to go to
1: one gronk party
2: you're in right i mean That's all i mean takes. hey he yeah. probably throws one hell of a party let's be honest oh, with so, you know uh, a lot of tables being broken i can only imagine uh, it looks like a tables out chairs match at those things um <laughs> but no i i'm not surprised necessarily to see the, these lesser teams on there just understanding that you know can't get much worse um but, like, at the same time, I will say, like, it, it does – for teams that – and like I said, I think LSU is a good case study. Going forward, there's a lot of teams that are going to be able to bolster their lineups due to the transfer portal um, and, and make and – not even just the, the, the teams that are able to bolster their lineups, but, like, the teams that don't have Georgia-sized fall-offs which is going to be very important as well. Um, where you look at, like, an Alabama, and I think they're, right like 29th, you know, and it's like, okay, cool. They didn't get, like – progressively worst like they were they were still they're still a pretty good team at the end of the day and, and their teams didn't like have this you know super you know drastic you know drop off is going to is very important to look at as well because ultimately that is the difference between sustained success and you know the occasional national championship here and there um so i i think that's just as important as a kansas who you know i mean but hey at the end of the day we we kind of said Lance Leopold could be the could be a guy that brings them back to relevancy. So you know, let's keep it up. Yeah, yeah. And
0: the biggest thing for just real quick on Arizona, the my biggest concern for Arizona this year is right now, according to our strength of schedule uh, calculations, they have the fifth toughest schedule in the country. That that's my biggest concern on how much improvement yeah. will we actually see from Arizona. Yeah, I think they'll be you know, much more competitive. I, I really right. like some of the pieces that they've added both through the portal and recruits that they've got. Uh, they recruited at a much, much higher. I mean, uh, what their their 2020 class and our our recruiting streak numbers were, they ranked 65th. So toward the very bottom of P, power five teams in 2021, that was 74th. So that might've been the worst in the power five, certainly one of the worst couple last year, top 30. And I think some way of calculating it, maybe, uh, you know, they were a top 25 class. So that's a big, big jump. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of those first-year players, I mean, uh, Tretoria McMillan, transfer uh, true freshman wide receiver, is – you know, apparently just showing star potential this spring. I saw that Kian Burnett, uh, four-star tight end, caught a, a touchdown in the spring game. I've heard a lot of great things about Noah Fafita, the the uh, diminutive quarterback there, seems to legitimately be pushing Jaden Delora and, and Jordan McLeod, guys like that, for some playing time as a true freshman. Uh, but, you know, and we'll have plenty of time to, to dive into uh, schedule analysis, but man, there are few, if any guaranteed wins on this schedule and who it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, I know the PAC 12 is is pretty wide open in a lot of ways. So I, I'm not going to say that it's impossible that Arizona uh, makes it to a bowl game, makes a big jump, what have you, but man, even the, the games that you're supposed to uh, win. I mean, that, uh, that, that non-conference schedule San Diego State, Mississippi State, North Dakota State. I mean, you know if you win one of those, you probably feel pretty good about it if, you, if you're in Arizona. So uh, plenty of time to, to, to dig into that. but you know sometimes a, a list like this, when we're able to calculate uh, put a number on how improved is a roster, it can get you really excited and uh, you know or really concerned. And then you know, how do we apply that? And at least with Arizona, man, I'm. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see because it's it's kind of a, a you know, two two things can't be. Uh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I I started talking and didn't know exactly what I was trying to say here, but, you know, top five improved roster, <laughs> top five strength of schedule. Those those things. don't got to Yeah. Something exactly. Yes. Something's got to.
1: Yeah, it, it, you nailed the cliches, Xavier. Uh, Nick, Nick tripped over. It's fine, you know. It's uh, it, it sounded like uh, you ever watched The Office? That, where, I was just saying, uh, Michael
0: Scott. Uh, Michael Scott. Sometimes I'll
1: right. start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going to end. I'll just keep talking, and if I get to the end, I get to the end. Right? Exactly. Uh, but uh, that's, Xavier, that's exactly it, what happened. Yeah, <laughs> Xavier. Anything else on uh, the roster strength uh, changes or? um you know we're wrapping it up here
2: i think this is a good place to wrap it up uh, i think we, yeah you know we're over at the one hour and 35 minute mark you know,
1: yeah I think, <laughs>
2: I think i think you know i think it's been a good, a good episode personally but yeah no i think it, I think it has been good. one we, one, one more break. thing no i'm just kidding. here we go <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, no just kidding
1: just kidding and you no, heard that oh, a good just messing with me. Yeah, six or seven more, yeah. uh seconds after i said it so yeah, yeah. The uh, Nick, Nick Nick has had some. Uh, I'm on a tape delay here. In, in yeah, in the new place. But you guys of don't course. know. Nick has sent in this audio file. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, remember, look, uh, we'll be back next week. You guys can catch us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFP Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trichier I C H E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
0: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.